morning. Thanks so much for joining us for TCC at Home Together. My name is Michael Guy. I'm the lead pastor here at Treasuring Christ Church. Uh, whether you're joining us on our live stream or in one of our host homes, uh, we're thankful that you made that decision today and pray that you're encouraged uh, by our time together, uh, both in God's Word uh, as well as, I hope, with, with others uh, in our host homes. Uh, before we continue in our sermon series on relationships, uh, I want to take just a minute to, to say thank you uh, on behalf of myself as well as Pastor Chris for uh, the appreciation shown to us uh, here in this uh, month of October as we wrap it up now, uh, known as Pastor Appreciation Month. Uh, we are so thankful uh, for the privilege of, uh, of pastoring and shepherding God's people here at Treasuring Christ Church. And, and thank you for, for all that you've done uh, to express uh, your appreciation for us and, and just know that we count it a joy uh, and are so excited about what God is doing in our church and, and really doing through uh, our church. We know that these are interesting times uh, and more than ever, uh, we need one another and, and more than ever um, convinced and convicted of God's call in my life. Uh, to, to faithfully shepherd uh, the people that God entrusts to me. Um, and so thank you uh, for, for making that a joy. Uh, today, uh, we, we continue, as I said, our sermon series uh, on, on relationships, biblical foundations for navigating life with others. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about friendship. And when, when we think about friendship, I think there are two assumptions that, that I can safely make. Uh, number one, uh, I believe I can assume that we all want meaningful relationships in our lives. Uh, that, that's a desire that we all have, a desire to be in meaningful relationship with others. But the second assumption that I can make, both from my own experience as well as conversation with others, is that making and maintaining meaningful friendships can be really hard. And in fact, it seems like the longer you live, the older you get, the harder that it is to make and maintain those friendships. And uh, not only is that true, but also just regardless of what stage you find yourself in, there are various challenges and obstacles to making and maintaining meaningful friendships. And in fact, as I was reading up on this and a number of different pastors and authors who have written on friendships, I appreciated the way Kevin DeYoung, uh, who's a pastor, said it. Uh, he said it's that talking of friendship, it's the most important, least talked about relationship in the church. The most important, least talked about relationship in the church. Really, when we think about friendship, there are two places that I want us to look today. I want us to look at Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of John, and then I want us to look at the teaching of the book of Proverbs to help us to understand God's design for friendship. So, uh, friendship according to Jesus. Uh, you've, you've already heard John 15 read, our, our text, our primary text uh, for today. Uh, it, it's a, a passage that, that really does two th things. It's a, a call to friendship. It's, it's sandwiched with a call to love one another, verse 12 and verse 17. Uh, that's what Jesus is saying. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. But uh, that's not the only thing it's doing. What Jesus is doing is giving us this call to friendship, a call to love one another, grounded in Jesus befriending us. I love the picture of, uh, of what Jesus uh, says here in this passage when he says that he has loved us. Verse 13 describes that love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. This is the love of God for us. This is, is God befriending us and, and our call to, to be friends according to God's design and according to God's pattern can only ultimately be true 
when we first have been befriended by Jesus and we know of his love for us. And then we see in verse 15 when it says, um, No longer do I call you servants, for servants do not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Jesus has opened up the truth in the way of salvation through his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf and has made all of this known, revealed himself to his disciples and, and to us, and he has called us friends. And really what makes this so amazing and, and such good news is that we're not exactly good friend material. In fact, in James chapter 4, verse 4, when you, when you look over there in that passage, it says, you adulterous people, as James talks about the conflict that's taking place amongst believers, he says, you adulterous people, and listen to the way he describes sin. Do you not know that friendship with God, excuse me, friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's in the language of friendship. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So the gospel is that though we were friends with the world and with our sin, therefore enemies of God, God did not consider us an enemy that he didn't want anything to do with, but he came and took on flesh and drew near to us, befriending us and demonstrating the greatest act of love, the greatest measure of friendship, and that he laid down his life for us in our place and for our sin. And that he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead. And that we are welcomed in, fully known into God's, not just family, which we see throughout the scriptures, but we're welcomed as his friends. Friends whom he has made himself known to. It's in the language of friendship that Jesus is describing the gospel here. The good news of the gospel that must be the center and the, the grounds for all of our friendships. The, the ultimate pursuit of friendship grounded in this central truth that Jesus laid down his life for his friends. Is what we see as the, the center of friendship that, that God has befriended us in Jesus. And we... <clears throat> We see how all of this is laid out and that he shows us the way in which he will make known his love for us through his laying down of his life. We see that he, he's the one who initiates and pursues us. He, he chose us, it says in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And then ultimately, we, as, as I was pointing out, we see how Jesus reveals his plan to us. He makes himself known to us, not hiding anything from us, but inviting us in to relationship with himself, befriending us through Jesus and his sacrificial love on the cross. This is the, the good news um, of the gospel, and it's at the center of what friendship, according to Jesus, is all about. True friendship begins with be being befriended by God. But we also see, as we look at John 15, not as the primary, uh, I, I should say it this way, that the primary point of John 15 is this call to love one another. So it's actually a call for the way in which we relate to each other. So the, the central truth of, of Jesus's sacrificial love for us in the cross that, that shows us what it means to be befriended by God is actually calling us to become a certain type of friend, 
a friend who loves. So we see in Jesus not only how we are befriended by God, but we see in Jesus also a call to be a friend according to the pattern of Jesus. And the pattern of Jesus, as we look at this in, uh, in this passage, we, we see verses 12 and verse 17, the call to love one another, that being a friend according to the pattern of Jesus is marked by love. But what does that love look like? Three things that I think that love looks like when we see uh, Jesus describing this in John 15. The pattern of Jesus for being a friend is marked by sacrifice. That, that being a friend according to the pattern of Jesus means we give of ourselves for others. And if you've, if you've had a good friend in your life, just, just think a moment about uh, the people that you count as a good friend, a close friend. They're the kind of friend that you could call up and, and ask to do something for you uh, on a short notice. They're, they're the kind of friend who, though you live on the third floor of your apartment complex and you're moving to the fourth floor of another apartment complex, they're willing to help you move out and move in. Like, that's a sacrificial friend. I'm still working on that in my own life. You know, there's, there's a sacrifice of time. There's a sacrifice of possession. There's a sacrifice of, of energy and emotion uh, that, that's given to care for another. It's a sacrifice modeled after Jesus who says, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends in verse 13. Now, the pattern of Jesus uh, befriending us and us being a friend according uh, to this pattern of Jesus. It, it's not one for one because in verse 14 we see when Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Once we've been befriended by God, it compels us to, uh, to walk in obedience to him. Uh, your, your friends, uh, I hope you have some good friends, but no friend uh, is called to, to obey your commands. Uh, as we see uh, we are in relation to God. But, but ultimately, we have this pattern uh, of sacrifice and then a pattern of initiation that goes on uh, in verse 15 and when, when Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants. Notice it's Jesus is the one that's initiating. And in a similar way, as we think about what it means to be a friend, we have this pattern of initiation that, that we pursue others. I think sometimes when we think about being friends, we can think about the difficulty of making friends. And maybe, maybe we, we have been in a position where we feel like, well, nobody is, nobody's willing to be my friend. And, and I recognize there are unique seasons and there are uh, unique circumstances that we can face that sometimes can make friendship difficult in our lives. But as a, as a standard or as a, as a rule or as a principle, um, we could say that friendship begins when somebody is willing to pursue another person. So friendship isn't accidental, but friendship is intentional. It requires us to take initiative and to move towards others. And, and then Jesus, as he thinks about friendship, it goes on to, to describe, I think, uh, the essence uh, or a central piece of friendship when he says in, in verse 15, not only do I call you servants, but uh, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And then he's going to say four. And it's this four that kind of explains, well, what does a friend mean? What does it mean to be a friend? Well, it means that he's made everything known to his disciples. All that the Father has revealed, I've made known to you. It's disclosure. So we have sacrifice, initiative, and disclosure. It's the sense of Jesus saying, I'm not hiding anything. I'm making it all known to you. I'm sharing this with you. You're let in. You're not, you're not on the outside, but you're brought in. And you know what God is doing. 
particularly here talking about what God is going to do for our salvation through the cross, but ultimately brought in to, to, to real relationship with God, fellowship with God. It's in friendship that we experience being fully known. It's in friendship where, where someone can um, have the, uh, a, a real sense of what's going on in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, you could say that the truest sense of intimacy that comes from this kind of disclosure of being brought in, the truest sense of intimacy is best experienced in friendship. And, and I think uh, that this is true whether you're married or single. Your, your primary friendship in marriage is, is going to be your spouse, but uh, the, the primary means of intimacy, uh, if, if you are single, is going to be through meaningful friendships with others. Your friend is the person who, as I said, knows what's going on in your life. It's the one who you disclose your real struggles to, the one who you share your real joys with. It was J.C. Ryle who said that um, with friends, uh, our troubles uh, are, are divided and our joys are, are multiplied. Uh, we, we, our, our troubles are cut in half because we are able to bear them with others and our joys are multiplied uh, in that we share them with our friends. It's our friends who we confess our sin to and we seek help from according to the pattern that we see laid out in God's word. It's in friendship that you experience the truest sense of intimacy in which you're known uh, and you know your friend. And <clears throat> I mentioned this last week because I think as we think about friendship, one of the reasons it's so important is that the Bible gives us friendship uh, as, as a, a foundational relationship, uh, regardless of our marital status, um, that friendship is a, uh, in a way a, a primary fundamental way in which we relate to other people uh, throughout our lives as God intends. And ultimately, it's a helpful sense in which how we relate to God, that he calls us friends. But the problem is, and, and there's an author, uh, Andrew Solomon, he said it this way, I'm borrowing from him, um, the great modern enemy of friendship, he says, turns out to be love. And by love, he doesn't, he's not just talking about the sacrificial love that we were just talking about in John 15, but he says, by love, I mean the idolatry of eros, the belief that true intimacy can only be found in the romantic sexual union of a couple. <clears throat> and, and so uh, when we think about uh, what it means to be fulfilled relationally, uh, our culture will tell us that apart from sexual fulfillment, we are incomplete as human beings. But God would tell us that he's made us for friendship with him and friendship with one another, that this is the most foundational relationship. And, and in a hyper-sexualized culture, friendship between the same sexes can seem strange. And yet, it's the primary means in which God will call us to, uh, to relate to one another. So we have to, to really think about these things. And there could be suspicion of, well, are those two guys who are good friends, are they, uh, are they in a relationship? Or, or maybe you think I'm really close uh, to this person of the same sex and, and there's these, this deep fellowship and enjoyment of one another. Perhaps maybe we should be in a relationship. Those, those are the kind of thinking sometimes of suspicion and temptation that can work themselves out in a, in, in a, in a same-sex friendship. And we have to think about what the Bible says on these things. And, and here I, I want to step into to what I, I think is clear in the Scriptures. I believe the Bible's teaching about homosexuality is clear, that it is sinful. 
that it is not according to God's design for human relationships, and that it's evidence of, uh, of our brokenness, even our disordered sexuality. <clears throat> However, in saying this, and I, uh, I was challenged and encouraged by um, the pastor of counseling uh, of, a, of a church in, uh, in Ohio, Jonathan Holmes, he says, in saying this, I'm not sure that the church has moved further than simply identifying the problem. Because he says, within the church, spiritual friendship as a discipline is an underutilized way of addressing this culturally sensitive topic. And, and it struck me as he said that I think this is exactly, exactly right because we have to reclaim, I believe, biblical friendship according to the pattern of Jesus. And as we're going to see in a minute, according to the teaching of Proverbs, we have to reclaim biblical friendship as a testimony of God's design for same-sex relationships, that it's friendship that is the pattern. In a culture that twists God's design in this area, we need to be a testimony of what it means to relate to one another. However, I will also believe that we must reclaim biblical friendship as a means of grace for all believers, that it's part and parcel of how God wants to work in our lives and help us to grow. But I think this is especially true for the believer, for the brother or sister who struggles with same-sex attraction. Who, who has that, that desire, that struggle, and yet is submitting it to Christ, seeking to walk in obedience to the, the clear teaching of the Bible. And, and, and God's plan for believers who struggle with same-sex attraction is the same as God's plan for believers who don't, but especially true, God's plan is for meaningful friendship in the context of the community of the local church. And because we often neglect this topic in our teaching. We are worse off for it in loving and serving our brothers and sisters who especially may struggle with same-sex attraction. God is calling us to, to pursue biblical friendship according to his pattern, according to his design, as a testimony to the world of what it means to relate to one another and as a means of grace for all believers. But I, also, I especially believe for those who struggle with same-sex attraction that it's, it's God's primary way of how we relate to one another, how we grow in our sanctification and in pursuing God's design and purpose for our lives. We, we have to return to, to friendship, understanding friendship, first by being befriended by God through faith in Christ. And then, by following the pattern of Jesus and being a friend to one another. God's design for relationship presses us to, and pushes us to embrace the teaching of Jesus here in John 15. And what good news is it that through knowing Him, being befriended by God, that God has good work for us, fruit that should abide in verse 16. Fruit that should result in us having communion with God and intimacy with Him that we can pray and ask anything in His name. These things, verse 17, I've commanded you so that you will love one another. Being a friend according to the pattern of Jesus is marked by love, expressed and, and shown through Jesus' sacrificial love on the cross for us. So, when we think about pursuing this kind of friendship, we see Friendship marked by sacrifice, initiative, and, and disclosure, opening ourselves to intimacy. Um, I think those thoughts are really helpful as a framework, I think, for thinking uh, on, a, uh, on a large scale about friendship. But, but I also want us to press in deeper and think about practically what does this look like to be 
a good friend, to, to make and maintain meaningful friendships in our life. And, and there's probably no more helpful book on this front than, than Proverbs. And, and uh, really, when we think about being a friend uh, and, and making and maintaining friends, the secret of friendship is the secret of, of all spiritual blessings uh, in the Christian life. And, and that secret is this, that the way to get is to give. The way to, to make friends is to be a friend. Uh, the, the way to, to maintain meaningful friendships is to be, be the type of friend uh, that perseveres in friendships with others. It's, it's ultimately about God working in us to make us a certain kind of person. And when we think about friendship, you know, I, I recognize that all of us are a little bit different uh, in that all of us perhaps have different levels of capacity uh, for friendship. Uh, some of us, um, you know, we, we want that really close friend and then it's cool. Everybody else can be an acquaintance. Some of us have, uh, you know, a larger pool of friends that we consider close. And uh, when we look at Proverbs, um, we, we actually see that the word for friend and the word for neighbor are actually uh, the same root. Uh, but according to context can be understood differently. And I actually think that's helpful for us because uh, the truth is, um, we only can have so many meaningful friendships in our life. We, uh, wh- whatever our temperament is and personality is, we, we can't have an infinite number of meaningful, close friends. We, we see this in Jesus's life in which uh, he was closer to, to uh, James, Peter, and John than he was to all the 12. And then he was closer to the 12 than he was to the 70 who followed him and then to the crowds who would come to him. There was, there was a pattern uh, in which Jesus had a deeper and closer uh, relationship with some, and we we see that in our own life, and and ultimately, as we think about what the Bible calls meaningful friendship, we know that we uh, we can't do that with an infinite number of people. That we're going to have uh, ultimately um, a few meaningful friends. Maybe maybe it's two or three, maybe it's five or six, but we're ultimately only going to have a set number of meaningful friends. However. Uh, as we see in Proverbs, that being a friend and being a neighbor are closely tied together. And, and what I would say as we think about friendship according to Proverbs is that we should seek to be a friendly neighbor to all and then cultivate a few meaningful relationships with those that we'll journey together with throughout life. Seek to be a friendly neighbor to all and then cultivate a few meaningful friendships with those that will journey throughout life together. That's, that's where we're going, and, and I think there are three things that we can see in Proverbs, and we're going to jump back and forth in a few different places in Proverbs, so uh, some of these will be uh, listed in the notes that you can make use of and, uh, and go back to, and, and then hopefully uh, you'll be able to catch a few uh, and write them down along the way as well. Uh, but three things uh, that I want us to see uh, as it relates to, um, to friendship according to Proverbs. And the first is this, that a true friend is there. A true friend is there. Uh, a true friend is there for you. Uh, Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's actually a really profound statement in a, uh, in a context that valued the family so highly that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17.17 17 says, A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. That they're, uh, the type of friendship that, that Proverbs uh, extols here is, is the kind of friend who is there in all kinds of circumstances, loving at 
all times and uh, sticking closer than a brother and available uh, in a way perhaps that not even a family member may be there for you. And this type of being there uh, means that true friendship requires time. And, and you know, this is, this is especially why I think um, friendship is, is so much easier somewhat in our childhood and in our early teen and college years because uh, we're put in positions where we spend a lot of time with the same uh, set of people and, and allows for friendship to be developed in a very natural way because of our mobility, because of, uh, of different challenges and maybe family commitments and other things as life progresses on, uh, it can become harder to have the space to spend time with friends. To, to be a friend who is there requires spending time with one another. That, that's just the, the truth. I think about one of my closest friends, uh, Matt, who uh, we became friends in high school uh, towards, towards the end of our, our high school year. But then for three years in college, we basically spent almost every waking moment together. Uh, taking the same classes, going uh, to the same places to study, having uh, a similar group of friends, uh, driving to and from 16-hour road trips uh, from school to home multiple times a year, even serving together in the summer through internships. Just being there allowed space to cultivate a meaningful friendship that wouldn't have otherwise been possible apart from the, the time spent together. And to be a true friend means that we're there in the hard moments, in the, in the good moments, in the, in the everyday flow of life. We, we need to be the kind of friends who make space to, uh, to be available to one another. Uh, you know, I, I think in, in our culture of busyness, uh, sometimes we can, uh, we can think, oh, I'm just too busy to spend time with someone. And, and I know that we are all busy. Um, I believe that. But if you could think of it this way, when we think about relationships, uh, if, you, if you have uh, a few, uh, you know, think you have a few big rocks and then uh, a few pebbles um, and then you have some sand. You know, if, <clears throat> if you try to fit that all in a jar in the wrong way, it may not all fit. Uh, if you if you perhaps put the sand in first and then the pebble in first, then uh, then you try to put the big rocks in. They may not all fit in the container in which you're trying to fit them. But if you prioritize and place the right things in, you put those big rocks in first, then you put those pebbles in that creeps down into the crevices and the cracks, and then you pour the sand and everything fits in. Are you prioritizing the right things? I think this applies to prioritizing gathering together as the body of Christ and making room on Sundays to, uh, to be intentionally setting aside time to worship. And uh, we recognize the challenges perhaps of gathering a host home for some and so the live streams available, but also the, the, the precautions that we're taking to do so safely in all of our homes. We, we believe that that's, a, that's essential for us in our relationships and our relational capacity with one another. Uh, another level beyond that is, is a sense of walking in community and relationship with one another in small group. And not as, a, uh, <clears throat> as the only way in which we have community, but as a primary way in which we have community in the church. And, and I, I press there because it's often in those contexts that friendship begins to begin to take root. Meaningful friendships begin to develop. It's also a way in which we are a friendly neighbor to all in the body of Christ and welcome others who visit and come in to the body of Christ. It takes time. It takes being there. Not being a superficial friend, 
Proverbs says that wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. We're not just friends for those uh, that, that can do something for us. We're not just with friends, friends with those who we share a particular affinity with. But in the body of Christ, we're called to, to relate to one another, pursue one another, first and foremost, because we've been befriended by God. And then we have this same purpose and pursuit that's ahead of us. And I believe it was C.S. Lewis that says, friendship usually begins with you too. Uh, you, you have that interest too. You're, you're pursuing that too. And the greatest shared interest that could possibly be had is a shared interest in pursuing Christ. And it's in the body of Christ, in the community of the church, that friendship should emerge and should be cultivated. And so I believe that if we're going to be a true friend, according to Proverbs, we have to be a friend who's there. A friend who walks through life with others, and not just a convenient friend, not, not just a, um, you know, a fickle friend. Uh, who's there sometimes. We have to develop the kind of friendships that, uh, that are there, that we're there for those uh, that we call friend, uh, that, that we, we have the space made to pursue those kinds of friendships. So not only is a true friend there for you, but a true friend is also honest with you. <clears throat> Proverbs 25, 5-6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. See, Proverbs tells us that part of what it means to be a friend is to be willing to be honest with one another. To be willing to to share, uh, not only in the sense of sharing the burdens and the the depths of our heart, but also to share honestly with one another, uh, both in in terms of, uh, of sharing perhaps our own struggles, as well as confronting graciously those that we call friends. And you know, I, I think in our lives, it, it can often be hard to, um, uh, to, to, to see the wisdom of this, uh, but when you have a friend who's willing to address something in your life, willing to say something hard to you, it's often, I, I'm not saying that there can't be ulterior motives perhaps in some who share, but it's often the greatest expression of love that they're willing to, to go there and, and not, just, not just praise, not just affirm. If you're looking for a friend who just fully affirms everything about you, you're not really looking for a friend. You're, you're, really, you're really looking you're looking for a puppet who, who, who kind of props you up. Who uh, That's the opposite of a puppet. You prop the puppet up. But you get the point. You're looking for someone who, who's just, just affirming. That's not a friend, according to Proverbs. Because a friend is one who, who offers, when it says faithful are the wounds of a friend, it's the one who's willing to say the hard thing that's true but necessary. Not the one who, uh, because of convenience or uh, perhaps inconvenience, doesn't say the true thing and glosses over it so as to make you feel better. As we think about being a friend who is honest, Proverbs shows us a few things that, that we can, um, that we, we can uh, make sure that we evaluate our honesty with. Because you know, we, we live in a culture where it's often easy to dismiss our cruelty, uh, our harshness as saying, hey, just, just saying it like it is, right? So Proverbs would give us more wisdom than just be the kind of person who says it like it is. Because in fact, Proverbs would say, uh, in order to be a friend who's honest, you have to be careful. And Proverbs 18, 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame, Proverbs 18, 13. Don't be so quick 
uh, to offer um, what you believe to be true. Listen, uh, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things, Proverbs 15, 28. So to be a kind of friend who is honest, is it means to be careful and, and consider and really know and press in. Perhaps better than an accusation is a question when seeking to be honest with a friend. I'm noticing this. Is that the case? Do you see that? Are you struggling with this? It seems like this may be a struggle or this is an area or I'm coming to you sharing these things. That, that, that there's a carefulness in examining our own hearts as we bring something to a friend. We're not just uh, sharing to, uh, to kind of cathart, but we're, we're sharing because we thought and we desire to, to welcome others in. Just like we saw with Jesus that we disclose as a, as a pattern of friendship. We open up and we're careful in doing so. And then we're also trustworthy to be the kind of friend who, when somebody shares something with you, that, that you can be trusted with it. Proverbs seventeen nine says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. To be untrustworthy is actually to, uh, to bring division in a friendship. Uh, to have something shared with you and then share that freely with others uh, betrays trust, betrays confidence. Instead, would call us, the Proverbs would call us to be wise uh, and trustworthy uh, as, as a friend. And not only trustworthy, but also timely. <laughs> I, love, I love this. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a cursing. Um, some of you with children are trying to figure out how to apply that Proverbs, right, to, to your children. Um, that there's a sense in which is you should think about the way in which you share something, the timing in which you share something. Whoever sings a song to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, and like vinegar on soda, it 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 just doesn't is not received well when it's untimely. Uh, that that we we think about what we're saying and when we're saying it and how it will be received. That's, that's part of what it means when we think about being honest with one another as friends. Uh, we have to think about. Uh, making sure that we're sharing in a way that it can, can be received by our friend. So uh, to be a friend who's honest means we're careful, we're trustworthy, we're timely. And in fact, as I thought about this, I thought, really, whenever we are seeking to be honest and, and share something that's hard or a burden or, or, or somebody does so with us, we need to allow Ephesians 4.15 and James 1.19 to be our guide. Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love so as to build up. Let that be your guide as you share. And then James 1.19 says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. To be a true friend means that we're honest with others. And then finally, to be a true friend means that we're wise. A true friend is wise. Why do I say that? You can see this in Proverbs 27.19. Excuse me, 27.9, when it says, <clears throat> Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. What is earnest counsel? Earnest counsel stems from biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom uh, begins with the fear of the Lord, is what Proverbs 1.9 says. So to, to be the kind of friend who, uh, that it describes, the, the sweetness of a friend comes uh, from his earnest counsel means that we're the type of friend who aims to point people to Christ or help people grow in Christ. 
that, that to truly be wise as a friend is that we have a desire in all of our friendships. If somebody doesn't know Christ, we want to point them to Christ in an ultimate sense. I'm not saying every conversation is about that, that that consumes everything, but that's a, a true desire and aim in any relationship with someone who doesn't know Christ, that the desire is to point to Christ. And then those who do know Christ, we're desiring to see them grow in Christ. We share all kinds of things. We talk about life, the ups and downs, our hobbies, our interests. We, uh, we, we give feedback and we criticize and we uh, build up and encourage. And, and all of it is aimed and marked by this wisdom, a wisdom that seeks to build up in Christ. Uh, there's an author, George MacDonald. He says, there's a certain niceness to a friendship where I can be, as they say, myself. A lot of, of us, when we think about friendships and culturally, we think that ultimately a real friend just affirms who I am and allows me to be me. And, and in a true sense, you know, um, having friends who you can be yourself around is, is really important. I think a lot of times we go through life um, mostly uh, afraid and insecure of making ourselves known. If we're our silly, goofy self, if, uh, if we make that joke and nobody laughs, or we have an interest that we think somebody else thinks is nerdy, and all, all those things you know, can keep us sometimes from sharing and friendship. But man, when you have friends who you can be yourself with, it's a sweet and joyous thing. Where there's no pretense, but it's just you, um, it's a beautiful thing. And yet, when we think about uh, a true friend being wise, uh, I love this quote from McDonald. He says, what I really need are relationships in which I'm encouraged to become better than myself. Myself needs to grow a little each day, he says. I don't want to be myself I was yesterday. I want to be myself that is developing each day to be more of a Christ-like person. That's the aim of a true friend, to help you not just be yourself, but to be better than yourself, to be who God desires you to be in Christ, that we would... We wouldn't just blindly affirm our friends, but that we would always aim to be a safe person that, that ultimately offers counsel that's in line with God's Word. And now, when I say counsel, I'm not saying like some in-depth counseling, like therapists lay down on the couch and tell me everything. I'm talking about just being available in life and caring to go beyond just the superficial. How, how, do you, how do you be a friend who offers counsel? Let me give you three things that I think can help you as you think about being a friend who can offer earnest counsel. Number one, get to know your friend's heart and their influences. Get to know, like always press to the matters of the heart, not just your circumstance, but what are you really feeling? What's motivating you? What, what are you desiring? What do you want? What are you hoping for? Those are issues of the heart. And then tied with it, their influences. What's influencing this? What circumstances, relationships, events are influencing a friend? Pay attention to those kind of things. And then be a kind of friend who's willing to talk about hardship and suffering. Don't shy away from those hard things. And I'm not saying that you always have to offer explanation. Sometimes it is, just like we said, a friend who is there. You're just there. Uh, who sticks closer than a brother, who loves at all times. But also to be willing to talk about it, to, to ask questions, to press in, to say, what, um, what are you thinking? How are you experiencing this? How are you responding to God in the midst of this? To have a friend who cares enough about us to go to that level is vital. And then ultimately, a friend who offers earnest counsel is willing to talk about sin and repentance. That may seem really strange. But as Christians, we, we can't be people who just talk about everything under the sun apart from sin and repentance. The Christian life is a life of repentance. 
And so it shouldn't shock us or surprise us that in our friendships, we are the kind of people who are willing to share and confess sin as well as confront and challenge sin and call to repentance and remind each other of the gospel. And in fact, if I could maybe as a separate point here, to be a friend who, honest, who offers earnest counsel, remind your friends of the gospel. A friend isn't just one who talks about sin and repentance, but ultimately who reminds them of the gospel. That's what cultivate. That's what expresses earnest counsel and cultivates meaningful friendship. Now, when I think about wisdom, the final point that I want to apply here that I think is relevant for us at this moment, um, in two days we will have an election, not only for the president and the vice president of the United States, but also a number uh, of Senate and House of Representatives and state and local elections. Um, <clears throat> when I think about our friendships in the church, and I think about friendships across the political divide in our culture. Uh, perhaps uh, unlike any other time uh, in my experience, it seems so, so much um, political polarization. Uh, and I was reading some statistics that say like 80% of people don't know someone or have a meaningful relationship with someone who voted differently than them. And the different voting blocks and groups of people have such different concerns when it comes to why and who they're casting their vote for. And in the church, there's all kinds of decisions. Some people saying that Christians should vote this way, Christians should vote that way. And there's evangelicals for Trump and evangelicals for Biden. And there are all these different conversations and issues that, that, are, that we're thinking through when it comes to character, when it comes to policy and platform, when, uh, when it comes to, to tone and, uh, and style of leadership, when it comes to uh, the issues of grave concern for people in our community. And there's all these things that are weighing on our mind. And, and I, I just want to end by thinking about friendship across the political divide. Because on Tuesday, I want you to vote your conscience and vote to seek the good of our nation. I don't believe that there's a Christian vote, but I believe there are Christians who do vote. And honestly, as your pastor, I'm less concerned with who you vote for and more concerned about how you relate to one another before and after you vote. And as I think about how this works out in our church, I, I, I believe that God is calling us to consider carefully how we relate to one another across the political divide, to be a pattern in our culture rather than caught up in our culture. And, and honestly, as I say this, I have to say it as a critique of the church because often we ourselves are caught up acting as partisan as our culture is rather than seeking to be God's people, not bound by uh, our citizenship on this earth. Yes, seeking to be good citizens, but ultimately bound to a greater citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. How do we do this? Uh, how, how do we apply uh, what we're seeing in, in God's word to uh, even this area of division? How do we walk in meaningful friendship even across political division? It is possible. Um, there are all kinds of examples that we could, uh, we could point to. My, my point is to, to have us to consider a few things uh, and then encourage us with some wisdom to apply in this particular area. I, I was encouraged reading uh, Scott Sauls and his book, Befriend, a great resource, and, uh, and just some other thoughts that Scott has as a pastor in Nashville 
thinking about political engagement amongst Christians. I'm not here to parse out all of the details, as I said, of how you vote, though I believe it matters and we should have meaningful discussion and there will be differences and and there are uh, different priorities and commitments that we're all seeking to work out as we're faithful uh, to, to God's word and seeking the good of our nation. John Wesley said after a heated political season in his journal, he wrote, I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election and I advised them in these three ways to vote for the person they judge most worthy, to speak no evil of the person they voted against, and to take care they, uh, their spirit was not sharpened against those they voted on the other side. Now you say, well, this is 2020 and it's all much more complicated than that. What I appreciate is, is the concern and consideration for how we relate to one another after our vote. Um, elections are going to come and go, and, and I believe that this election has some vital uh, consequences. There's real issues at stake. Uh, there, there are issues of, of character uh, and who leads our country that are fundamental that we should think about. There, there are issues of policy and, uh, and platform that, that are important. There, there, are, there are areas of biblical concern that both parties are addressing in different ways that Christians should be thinking about and trying to discern how to, uh, how to cast their vote in a way that helps seek the good of our country. And seek to be faithful to God's word. But I appreciated what Scott Saul said as he encouraged specifically Christians as they move beyond this uh, election. He said, I, I would encourage you to, to read, read the Gospels, read Isaiah, read Romans, read James, read, read those books of the Bible. Allow that to be a pattern for how you think about political difference and, and political priorities. But then fundamentally, Pray and dine with people whose politics are different than yours. And as the church, I believe we should be able to model this. That politics don't, you know, we, talk, we say you don't discuss politics and religion and, uh, and, and, in order to not mess up good company. As the church, we should be able to talk about these things with one another because we love each other, we love God, and we're seeking to be faithful where God has put us. And then he says, I love this practically. He said, name one to two weaknesses of your own party, of your own affiliation. And then name one to two strengths of the other party, uh, the other side of your vote. Recognize that in all honesty, as we think about biblical mandates, neither party has a monopoly on caring about the the issues uh, of biblical concern. When we think about the issue of the sanctity of human life, when we think about uh, sexuality and marriage, when we think about caring for the poor, when we think about uh, welcoming and caring for the refugee, neither party has a monopoly on those issues, though there are certainly uh, parties, party policies that are pursuing uh, things in, in more or less helpful ways. And then he said, vote your conscience, trusting it to God, walking out of the voting booth and fighting evil and advancing good. I ultimately believe that no matter who sits in the office, there have been some predictions of the chaos that may follow this election. I believe that ultimately who sits in the office doesn't determine the way we relate to one another. We determine the way we relate to one another. And it should be the church that sets the pattern for how we relate to one another as friends and how we relate to one another as neighbors. So matter, no matter who uh, wins this election, 
Let's remember that our king was already crowned. That our God is already in control. And because our God is in control, we're freed to, to debate the issues as they come and pursue meaningful friendship even across difference. Not denying and deflecting, but pressing in and knowing and caring about one another and what's important to each of us. And then in, in getting up and seeking to love one another, seeking God's mission, seeking the good of our community hand in hand, side by side, shoulder by shoulder. And I believe when we think about being wise, friends who are there, who are honest, who are wise, James 3, 17 through 18 gives us a, a helpful word to think about how to be friends across political difference. Consider James chapter 3, verses 17 through 18 as we close. The wisdom that comes from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We've been befriended by God, and He's calling us to be friends according to the pattern of Jesus and according to the wisdom of Proverbs. And I believe if we do that, that we will be stronger as a church and we will be more faithful as a witness in our community. Let's pray.